0: You're listening to Living Healthy Longer by the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging.
1: So uh, I, uh, when I was growing up, I had um, an uncle and a grandfather who suffered with uh, Alzheimer's disease. and uh, And so from a very young age, I was Uh, very interested in neuroscience and in brain aging and sort of like what uh, contributes to these diseases. Uh, So I studied neuroscience in college, um, at Colorado College. And then after college, I spent two years at the National Institute on Aging in Baltimore, in Maryland. And uh, at the National Institute on Aging, I studied uh, dietary interventions uh, that are well known to promote health span, and uh, whenever we talk about health span, health span is defined as the period of time disease free in in older age, and also dietary interventions that promote lifespan, so that that can make us live longer. And this was very important to me because uh, aging is the greatest risk factor for a whole host of diseases uh everything ranging from certain cancers to diabetes cardiovascular disease dementia alzheimer's disease sarcopenia you name it aging is the largest risk factor for these diseases so uh when i study these dietary interventions it was important to me because these are things that we can do sort of like in our younger years in midlife that will promote healthspan and lifespan and uh they're very uh, simple to do, um, and they're well known to promote longevity. So that's really what got me interested in, in aging research. And for the past 10 years, I've been studying dietary interventions or related interventions um, that sort of promote these, these healthy lifestyles.
0: Within aging research, the topics of caloric restriction and intermittent fasting receive a lot of buzz because animal studies of these dietary interventions have shown that reducing the amount of food that we eat or fasting for certain periods of time can extend health span and also reduce age-related diseases like heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, or dementia. So, in this episode, I talk to Devin Wall, a postdoctoral research associate in the HealthSpan Biology Lab in CSU's Department of Health and Exercise Science, which is under the direction of Assistant Professor Tom LaRocca. Dr. Wall takes us through what caloric restriction and intermittent fasting are and why scientists believe they're effective strategies to extend health span. I hope you enjoy. I'm your host, Hannah Hallisker, and this is Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Columbine Health System Center for Healthy Aging at Colorado State University. Okay, well, Devin, first things first, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast and bringing this topic to us so that we can discuss it. I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Oh yeah, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to discuss uh, these topics today.
0: So, I think a good, you know, baseline foundational question that we should dive into is, uh, you know, why do we study aging, and and what are the hallmarks of aging? Because I know when we talk about these dietary interventions, they really get wrapped up in these different hallmarks. So, can we kind of review, you know? Why is it important to study aging when you're looking at dietary interventions?
1: Yeah, exactly. And this is a very important question and something that we've really studied in detail in the field. So in order to understand aging, we need to understand the hallmarks of aging. And the way that I like to think about the hallmarks of aging is they're sort of these molecular things, these molecular processes that go on 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 a biological level um, that can contribute to aging. And some of these things include, for example, um, genomic instability. So uh, these are things that um, sort of go wrong with our DNA, with the genome, with our genome as we age um, that can cause problems, that can cause physiological problems. Um Another one would be, for example, mitochondrial dysfunction. So this is the mitochondria is known as the powerhouse of the cell. Uh, So this is what sort of like makes the cell breathe and like keeps the cell alive. So as we age, our mitochondria uh, in the cell, things go wrong with our mitochondria. So these are just some examples of the hallmarks of aging. And if we can understand the hallmarks of aging and what goes wrong, Then we can understand the aging process itself and we can figure out ways to sort of target those hallmarks of aging in order to promote health span uh, and longevity. So that's why it's really important to understand those hallmarks.
0: Yeah, and furthermore, you know, with your work that you do, you know, studying dietary interventions, you know, if you can understand how those those dietary changes can influence these hallmarks of aging, then you potentially have something that you can target in the future. You know,
1: exactly. Yes, and that's uh, one uh, area where the field is really moving: is how do these interventions, these dietary interventions, how do they change or how do they influence? These hallmarks of aging, what goes on on a very sort of small molecular level in our body, and if we can figure out what's going on there, then we can understand. We can further understand uh, how how these very effective interventions um, uh, promote health span and, and attenuate age related disease, which is uh, very important uh, to us.
0: Yeah, I'm imagining a future, you know, if if you know what mechanism is targetable, then maybe you can develop a drug that can target it. Or maybe there's a specific diet, you know, that we know you'll be able to adopt that could target these different mechanisms. Is that kind of what you're hoping to get to with the work that you do?
1: Yes, exactly. And that's a very important part of the field is is that uh, some of these nutritional interventions that we'll discuss today uh, they may be difficult to adhere to or difficult to follow for uh, a lot of the population. So if we can identify sort of how these intervent- interventions affect the cell on a cellular level, then we can develop what we call um, dietary mimetics is what they're called. Uh, so in in other words, can we develop like a therapy or a, a, a related, for example, compound and some of these compounds have been very well studied and they're, they're actually just found in nature and uh, they're found in plants or they're found in berries. And we can get into that uh, today a little bit, but uh, if we can um, identify compounds that affect similar pathways to these nutritional interventions, um, then that can be very effective to promote health span. So that's, that's very important as well.
0: Awesome. Okay. So let's, let's get into some of them. Let's get to the meat of the conversation. So a couple of the, the dietary interventions I was interested in talking to you about today are caloric restriction and also intermittent fasting, and so in aging research, these are two real hot topic dietary interventions that are being studied, you know, by healthspan biologists like yourself, um, because they they've been proven in different animal models to potentially extend healthspan and extend longevity. So I wonder if you can just kind of give us a basis of, you know, what is caloric restriction restriction and and how could it potentially be an anti aging intervention.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to talk about this. So uh, caloric restriction, very broadly, is defined as a daily uh, daily reduction in 10 to 50% of uh, total caloric intake. And uh, caloric restriction, really, the power of caloric restriction in animal models has been known for well over uh, uh, 100 years. But the it was the power of caloric restriction was first demonstrated in a laboratory setting in 1935 by Clive McKay, by the scientist uh, called Clive McKay and and colleagues. And uh, McKay decided to do a very simple study where he had two groups of rats and he said, hey, I wonder what would happen if I let one group of rats eat as much as they want and the other group of rats were going to reduce their calories by about 30%, 30, 40% of their daily calories for lifelong. So this, this was, was for life. And uh, McKay noticed that the rats that were on the calorie restricted diet, they lived significantly, significantly longer than the uh, their counterparts who were allowed to eat as much as they wanted. And when at at the end of their life, uh, they could not find any, uh, any very apparent reasons for why these rats died. They just died simply of old age. That's it. They didn't have any diseases, nothing else. And really this spurred a movement in aging research. And for the past 100 years, scientists have been studying why is calorie restriction or reduced caloric intake so effective to promote longevity and health span in in laboratory models. And the power of calorie restriction has since been demonstrated in uh fruit flies, in worms, in yeast, even, uh, all the way up to non-human primates, to to rhesus, to rhesus monkeys. Uh the benefits of calorie restriction and the mechanisms of calorie restriction in humans, they're still under investigation. And this is still something we're trying to figure out. But it seems to be a, a relatively um, powerful mecha, uh, you know, means to improve health span in humans as well. So that's sort of like the calorie restriction movement and how it started.
0: Right. And so, what has science said about caloric restriction in terms of you know comor- comorbidities that happen with with age, these you know cardiovascular things that we develop and other age related diseases.
1: Yes, exactly and and this is something that has been studied studied as well and we at least know that in a large percentage of preclinical models a caloric restriction even mild caloric restriction say for example 10% caloric restriction is very effective to promote healthspan and to attenuate most diseases of aging. Uh, In terms of uh, the brain and brain health, there has been some studies in older adults uh, regarding uh, mild caloric restriction for a period of, say, three months. And um, it's been shown that in certain groups of older adults, this mild caloric restriction significantly improves cognition and memory over the period of three months. So in addition to improving cognition and memory in preclinical models in mice and rats, uh, there is some limited evidence that cal- caloric restriction is also powerful to do this in, in older humans as well. So, so yes, very um, effective to attenuate um, age-related disease. And again, mainly demonstrated in, in preclinical models, and we're still trying to, t- to determine the mechanisms By which this is so effective.
0: When you say preclinical models, you mean, you know, this hasn't gone through a clinical trial process. This is just something we're observing in the lab at this moment.
1: Yes, exactly. This is, yeah, whenever I say preclinical, I'm talking about, for example, fruit flies or um, little uh, worms, microscopic worms that we study called C. elegans or yeast. Or um, a preclinical model is also a rhesus monkey as well that they've that they've shown this with. Regarding humans, there is, again, I, I should caution, there's actually very limited evidence in, in human populations in terms of clinical trials that this is effective. But interestingly, there are uh there is a subset of humans in this country, in the United States and all over the world, and they practice calorie restriction. And it's sort of like this online community where they have sort of studied the benefits of this and just sort of on their own will, uh, they, they do calorie restriction. But this is not very common in terms of, of human populations or, or detailed clinical trials just yet.
0: It makes me think of the blue zone populations across the world. I'm sure you're aware of the blue zones. These are these are areas where, you know, for some reason, you know, the lifestyle that people in these different countries, these different regions that they've adopted, the food that they eat, um, you know, economics of their lives, they for some reason are living longer <laughs> than other people across the world. And so I, I, I would be willing to bet that if you look at what they eat, they probably are not overeating and they're probably eating pretty well-rounded diets
1: yes exactly and this is an interesting point that you bring up uh that he would set the blue zones and there are uh five blue zones uh, all over the world uh one of them is in california another in costa rica another in italy and then greece and then uh japan um, okinawa uh, off the coast of japan and uh For some reason, and we're still trying to figure this out, the people who live in these blue zones, they are the longest lived and they're the healthiest people in the the world. So they oftentimes you see many people over the age of 100 years in these blue zones. And one of the reasons that we think that they live so long and they're so healthy is their diet. And there's probably a lot of other reasons that they they live long. For example, social interaction exercise, um, being happy, positive outlook on life, but we think that diet has a large impact on their longevity. And what you had said is that what seems to be the case in these blue zones is these people, they're not overeating. They're not overindulging. They have a very well-balanced diet. Um, They uh, have a moderate intake of, um, for example, red meat. And, uh, you know, they have very low, you know, re- um, sort of moderate intake of fats in their diets, but very healthy fats and sort of moderate intake of protein. So everything in moderation in these blue zones and, uh, yeah, diet, uh, we're starting to learn in the case of these blue zones that diet has a profound effect on health span and on lifespan, a very profound effect.
0: It's really it's really intriguing to think about. And so I wonder so this next one that I'm interested to talk about intermittent fasting. So so Devin this one to me when I read about it it seems like people trying to find a hack around caloric restriction because intermittent fasting, at least the way that I've seen it marketed is like, you can eat whatever you want as long as you eat within this window of time during the day for the most part. But then there's some people that take it to another extreme of like, okay, I'm going to try to eat healthily, but only within this window of time, you know? And so, so, you know, that's my introduction to it, but you're the expert here. So you tell us, you know, what, what is the difference between caloric restriction and intermittent fasting and what are some of the effects of intermittent fasting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to talk about that. So intermittent fasting is is essentially it's defined as a period of time where you have uh, no caloric intake um, at, during the day. And people have started to look at different types of intermittent fasting, for example. So one type of intermittent fasting could be... Uh, Uh, for example, time-restricted feeding. So time-restricted feeding is defined as, okay, you can eat during a certain time of the day and you can eat as much as you want, but you can only eat during that time. Um, Or um, alternate day fasting. So there's been a lot of research in preclinical models, mice and rats, where uh, mice are allowed to eat on one day and not eat on the next day. And it's sort of alternating. You can also have like periodic fasting. That's where you eat, for example, five days out of the week. And then you take one day off where you don't eat. And I should also caution that this has mainly the effects of intermittent fasting have mainly been demonstrated in mice and rats and and um, in preclinical models. Um, But in terms of uh, intermittent fasting, and its effect on health span and lifespan, it's very powerful to promote health span and lifespan in these models. and also to attenuate age-related disease. So any of those age-related diseases that we talked about earlier, very powerful to, to sort of reduce those diseases. Um, and you had brought up that a lot of people are interested in this because they may not want to be calorie, you know reduce calories all of the time. You know, that's hard to do to, you know, to be at an, in a calorie deficit for, you know, for a long time. So people started to look at these things. Oh, if I'm able to eat as much as I want, I could go for four or five hours without food or six hours. And what scientists have seen and people in aging research is that these dietary interventions are also very powerful. And, and a lot of people would say equally as effective as reducing caloric intake to promote health span. So those are, those are interesting as well. Those, those diets.
0: Yeah. That was going to be my next question. You know, when you put them side by side, caloric restriction and intermittent fasting is one at all better than the other. Or are they pretty much equal?
1: Some people in the field would say that one is better than the other. Some people would say that intermittent fasting is better. I think that sometimes, um, And I think we'll, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but how do these things work? What are the sort of the effects, the physiological effects of both caloric restriction and intermittent fasting? And if you, if you look at sort of the general overall physiological effects, in my personal opinion, I think that they both have similar health span and lifespan um, uh, uh, benefits, at least in, in lower organisms for sure. Um, but, um, we're still trying to elucidate these to, to figure out exactly what's going on and sort of what are the main differences between intermittent fasting and caloric restriction. But a lot of the literature, a lot of the science points towards the fact that, oh, they may, you know, they're having pretty good effects in both cases. So, but still trying to figure that out. But yeah, I think that'll be interesting to find out in the future for sure that some of the key differences
0: yeah yeah you're already touching on it and so i'm curious you know going back to the hallmarks of aging what is happening at a physiological level when you restrict calories or when you are fasting you know what what is the effect and why do researchers think that these dietary interventions might be working
1: yeah and that's a really interesting question and this is something that even after 100 years of research almost 100 years we actually still haven't figured this out completely, and we're still trying to figure out these mechanisms. It's actually quite difficult, and there's a lot going on here. But uh, what seems to be relatively well accepted within the field is that um, both uh, caloric restriction or uh, intermittent fasting or alternate day fasting or um, any other uh, a diet like this um, it invokes a um, process called hormesis in, in our body. And I'll just break down hormesis a little bit. Essentially what this is, is this is a, a, a mild uh, physiological stress. So in other words, c- calorie restriction and intermittent fasting, they it's a, it's a mild stress on our body. And what this allows us to do is that down the road, if we are exposed to something or an environmental toxin, or something that may contribute to pathology or to disease, then because our body was exposed to that physiological stress, that mild stressor, we are able to better adapt to to whatever stress is placed upon us. And it's a it's a term called hormesis, and a lot of people um, that study health span. They have also looked at hormesis, for example, um, uh, in terms of exercise, because we know that physical activity and exercise also is good for our health and good for our longevity. And it seems as if exercise also invokes this this hor- hormesis process in our body. It's a mild stress, and then down the road, our body is better able to adapt to this stress. Uh, and the, um, sort of the, the link or the parallel that I always give here, uh, in terms of brain health is I think about a lion. So in general, how does calorie re- uh, restriction or intermittent fasting, how is that good for a lion's brain? Well, if a lion out in the wild, if a lion is, is full, all, full all the time and sleeping and kind of lazy, then that lion's brain is not going to be active that lion is not going to be out on the search for food. And that's the same thing for humans or for any other animal where if we're sort of full all the time and we're sort of like not, we don't have to be on the lookout for food, then our brains and our organs, they are not going to be functioning optimally. So in essence, this is really sort of, the general reason by which we think that calorie restriction and intermittent fasting they are effective to promote physiological health both hormesis and we're also functioning optimally under conditions of of mild stress
0: it seems like a like a protective mechanism that we're kind of instilling in ourselves you know just like like you were saying about exercise exercises Probably the number one thing to do to like extend your health span, and we we know that it's well demonstrated, and it seems like caloric restriction and intermittent fasting could be considered that same way.
1: Yes, exactly. It's sort of a, a protective mechanism, and we're sort of very mildly training our body to to adapt. And this is interesting. You brought up exercise. I know I did a little bit. If you look at the pathways the sort of these what goes on on a very small level in our body the similarities between exercise and these dietary interventions are 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 they're strikingly strikingly similar so in other words exercise which we know is very effective to promote health span and in humans too this is very well demonstrated and these dietary interventions they activate these same pathways they activate the same or very similar physiological processes in our body in order to promote health span and and, and longevity. So they're very similar in that regard.
0: Right, right. So, so yeah, we've spent a good amount of time talking about these two different strategies. I'm wondering if we could just briefly talk about, you know, caloric restriction is one thing, but scientists have also done, you know, more specific studies of like restricting protein and what effect does that have, or like restricting a specific macronutrient. Can you talk about any of those kinds of interventions and maybe what those have found?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to talk about that. So, um, uh, Steve, Stephen Simpson and, and colleagues in Australia at the Charles Perkins center, they do a lot of this work. And what they have found is that the calories themselves may not be as important as the ratio of macronutrients in the diet. So protein, carbohydrate, and fat, the percentages of those macronutrients in the diet. And what they found is that in mice, at least, um, diets that are relatively low uh, in protein moderate in fat and a little bit higher in carbohydrate are optimal to improve health and longevity. Now I should caution, this is in mice. Uh, in humans, this is something that we're still working on. And of course, these ratios, they may change depending on developmental stage. So where one is within, within their lifespan. Interestingly, one of the blue zones in in, um, uh, Okinawa, off the coast of Japan, um, their diet is about 10% protein, um, 65, 70% carbohydrate, and the rest is fat. And interestingly, their diet in terms of the ratios of macronutrients is very similar to the diet that was found to promote longevity and health span in, 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 in mice. And I should caution that this is one of the blue zones and probably the other blue zones are eating relatively different diets, but it's just interesting to see that parallel between the Okinawans and that mouse study. So definitely more work needs to be done in humans in terms of good macronutrient ratios to promote health span. And importantly, what type of carbohydrates are we talking about? We're not talking about refined sugars. We're talking about good whole grains, um, good healthy pastas, good sources of fat, avocado, olive oil. These are good sources of fat and good sources of protein as well. So it also is important to consider the, the types of macronutrients in these diets.
0: It's really contrary to, I think, what you hear when, for instance, you're someone who's trying to bulk up, you're going to the gym, you're trying to build muscle. Those are high protein diets that they want you to be on. That that, that seems to be the standard. And it's very, very interesting to me that this is very contrary to that.
1: Yes, it's very contrary to that. And there seems to be some debate in the field on this, on whether or not uh, high pro, super high protein diets uh, are, are bad for you or good for you. Uh, sometimes you see a study where they say, oh, they're actually not so bad. Some studies say that uh, a lot of red meat consumption is associated with um, cardiovascular disease if they follow thousands of people over many years. So this is something that we're still uh, figuring out and uh, especially is important to consider in older age when uh sarcopenia is uh could be prevalent um some people say that oh it's important to increase your protein consumption in older age some people say no no you you shouldn't do it you know because of these reasons so again we're still trying to elucidate these mechanisms here and what exactly is going on specifically with these macronutrient interactions and as we age
0: Right. I think now is the important disclaimer we should put on this whole episode that these are these are, you know, theories that we're investigating within aging research. Not many studies have been done in humans, and so definitely should be a little cautious if you're a human and you're tr- looking to, you know, add this to your diet.
1: Yes, exactly. So, if you're a human and are looking to add this to your diet, I would recommend to be cautious about this. Uh, there uh, in terms of rodent studies and calorie restriction uh, it's well understood that calorie restriction while it is a very powerful intervention in in many cases it actually can be a uh, detrimental intervention uh, in other cases depending on the genetic background of the mice that you're looking at in research we have hundreds of strains of mice with different genetic backgrounds. And it's interesting they've done, they've looked at this and in some cases, calorie restriction can actually reduce lifespan. So I feel bad about saying this because this whole podcast has been about sort of calorie restriction and health. But again, I think that it's really important to consider these, these, um, caveats here in terms of calorie restriction. And again, depending on the genetic makeup of a mouse or a person or lifestyle or a, a host of, of other factors that may involve, calorie restriction may not actually be effective. And these are things that we're still trying to disentangle and to figure out um, and uh, to, to, to sort of like bring to light the reasons why why it's not working, or perhaps it's it's too much calorie restriction. Maybe ten percent would be fine, or fifteen percent. Um, the studies that they've looked at have generally been, you know, relatively high percentages of calorie restriction. So maybe it's the percentage, maybe it's the duration of calorie restriction that needs to change, or that we need to investigate. But again, I just want to put sort of like a caution tape up <laughs> that for for humans and for intermittent fasting. And for calorie restriction, yes, there is very good research, but it may not necessarily be effective. I think that for humans, therefore, um, in terms of dietary interventions that are effective in humans, there's very good evidence, for example, that the Mediterranean diet or the Okinawan diet are actually very effective for humans. They've studied these diets um, in Hundreds of thousands of humans. So, if I were to give advice to to someone, I would say, "Hey, maybe look into again this, these balanced dietary patterns, rather than sort of restricting caloric intake." Um, in terms of perhaps the most evidence based means to to just live a healthy life in humans.
0: Yes, most definitely, consult your medical provider, talk to a dietitian. You know, we're interested in this topic, but certainly do not take our advice and yeah. and do this in your daily life when it's not totally sound.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. so Devin,, uh, but this is the the last question I ask everyone who comes on the show, which is what is your best advice from healthy for healthy aging from your perspective and what you research?
1: yeah my best advice for healthy aging my number one advice is to laugh and smile laugh and smile <laughs> don't worry about the small things uh surround yourself with good people surround yourself with good friends keep your your closest people your family um safe and close to you and um and take care of yourself and and exercise and it doesn't have to be a lot but it can be you know 30 40 minutes 3 4 times a week i think exercise is a very very good way to live a healthy life and smile while you're exercising and laugh while you're exercising <laughs> and uh and finally uh since we talked about diet on this show just eat a well-rounded healthy diet and um eat everything in, in moderation, well-rounded and and healthy. And those would be sort of like my, my, my three pieces of advice for, for living a healthy, a healthy life. So that's, there you have it.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. And see, it has nothing to do with calorie restriction or intermittent fasting. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly. But certainly the, the mechanisms and the science behind it Uh, It was very interesting to discuss today. So thank you.
0: Yes. No, thank you for coming on. I'm glad we finally have an episode about this topic because like I said, it is such a hot topic in the aging field. So yes, thank you for coming on and discussing with us.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Living Healthy Longer, a podcast from the Center for Healthy Aging at CSU. Remember to follow us on social media at CSU Healthy Aging and visit our website at healthyaging.colostate.edu. We will see you next time.